First Peter 2, verses 11 to 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is good to be back with you uh, today. I missed many of you last week. Uh, I was at Freedom City, uh, a church that is here in Fremantle at Hilton. Uh, we have a relationship with them. Their youth has used our building for uh, a few years now uh, for their youth group. And then they use our uh, building as well for some leadership training. Uh, and on top of that, they joined us during Christmas uh, Day service. And we'll probably do that again this year. And so they send greetings back to you. I gave them your greetings, even though you might not have known that. Uh, and they now send their greetings back to you as well. And uh, we are excited that we have a relationship with those who love Jesus and love Fremantle. And uh, so it's good, though, to be back with you today as we continue on in our series in 1 Peter. And we come to this place uniquely that within our series, we're actually going to do three sermons that are going to operate sort of like a mini-series within the series. So uh, in the States, they had um, their TV shows, and they have TV shows here, obviously, but they have long series of TV shows. And sometimes you'll have a, a, a show that's a 30-minute sitcom, but they, for some reason, write an arc within the show that can't get resolved in the 30 minutes. And so there's a to-be-continued kind of point that takes place at the end of the show, and then you have to wait a week, and they come back the next week and they say, previously on, and they show you a little bit of what happened, and then we go for further. So think of this sermon, maybe with not the laugh track, as the same as that. We're going to talk today about one part of it, and then next week about another part, and then the third week about another part. So it's a three-part series within the series of 1 Peter. Have I confused you thoroughly? Clear as mud, right? That's good. So I'm going to give you an introduction now to the three-part series, and then we'll dive in to the first part of that series today. So I want you to go back in your, in your Bibles or your devices uh, that have now become sanctified because they have a Bible app on them, and I want you to look at verse 11 and 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners or exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
Now, what's just taken place is Paul has reminded them of who they are in Christ. Uh, Mike preached on this last week, and, and we actually preached on it a few months ago as well. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That as the church, as the body of Christ, of those who are in Christ, that's our identity. That's actually the truth of who we are. And now he says, beloved, those that I love, those that I care for. So he's not coming to them saying subjects or little children even. Although Paul does say that sometimes, and Peter might say that sometimes. What he's saying is, those that I love. Now there's two reasons why he's saying that. One is because God has joined them together. He recognizes that they are God's people as he is God's people. And we are joined together, bound deeply by the knowledge of God's love for us. And then the second thing is he's getting ready to say some hard things. So he wants to say, beloved. I'm going to come to you with some hard things, but beloved. I love you. I'm telling you this because I love you. That's interesting for us because oftentimes we hear that when we're going to talk to somebody and we want to show them love, that that doesn't mean, or that means we can't speak harshly or bring things that are hard into the equation. That it has to be full acceptance of everything that's happening. And that's not what Peter's saying here. He's saying, I love you. This will be hard for you to hear. So let me say, I love you. <laughs> this might be hard for you to hear. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. He's coming in and he's saying, look, remember who you are. Remember what he said right at verse 1? to those who are the elect exiles. He's reminding them, you are sojourners. This is not your identity is not of this world anymore. Your identity is rest firmly in Christ, that you are the elect and the heirs. I, I, I'm coming to you to remind you that you are not in this place. And so get ready for battle, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And he's not speaking here of just external things. He's not speaking here of just those passions of the flesh that are those things that affect us externally. He's speaking of the passions of the flesh, meaning our old selves, our old way of living. Those places where our minds go only towards ourselves, where we are turned in on our hearts that we say, yes, I'm the most important and what I desire is the, 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 the best thing and that I, I have to have everything that I want the way that I want it, when I want it, how I want it. And beloved, we don't talk that way out loud because that's rude. But we talk that way internally, internally to ourselves. We say it within our hearts. We might not say it that, that boldly in our hearts even, but when we're in a discussion with somebody else and we recognize that they're not recognizing the importance of who we are, 
we begin to belittle them in our minds and say, why don't they understand that my way is a much better way? That my desire is a much better desire. Or, or perhaps it's that we want to attain something, that we see something that we desire. And so whatever means necessary for us to get that, we move them out of the way in our minds. They're not as important. Or they're just a means for me to get to that thing. Oftentimes it shows itself externally. Oftentimes it will show itself through things that we can say, yeah, that's a sin. We, we see it. But more often than not, the, the battle that we're having is within our hearts and our souls that are never seen. And it separates us from each other and from God and from who He's created even ourselves to be. Why? Because we're beloved exiles and heirs. So he reminds them, I want you to wage war. I want you to be ready. You need to be able to say no to these things. And how do we say no to these things? It's by remembering who we are. It's by trusting and believing that we are in fact those who are of God. But then he says this unique thing. <laughs> Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, is the way the ESV says it. It, it. it actually, this word is translated into a word called beautiful or attractive. And he says then, um, uh, honorable so that they cannot speak against you when they see your good deeds. So your life honorable this beautiful life is what he's speaking of. So that word is literally have a beautiful lifestyle. One that's not just morally good, but one that is beautifully portrayed. One that shows forth God in a way that is not judgment, but in a way that is lovely and whimsy, that brings people in. That shows them what it is. And that word life, that honorable life that he uses there is not the word of just life, like bios, life. It is the word for a way of life. That it's not just that our life, you know, like living has to be good, but that there's a track and a movement that we walk in to have this beautiful life that slowly attracts people to God's beauty. What does it say? That even when they... What? Revile you. Even when they say bad things against you, it changes. Why? Because they see your good deeds and they glorify God, even on the day of visitation. They might not do it now, but there will come a day that because of your beautiful life, when God appears, they will recognize God. Why? Because He's God and He's high and lifted up? Yes, partly, but also because your life has been so beautifully lived in front of them that they go, oh, that's what was going on. This very thing that I'm now seeing, this God who is a pursuing God, this God who is a loving God, this God who wants me in whole relationship with Him and with myself and all others in place, that God who is now coming down in this day of visitation, this day that is to come, I recognize Him partly because He's high and lifted up, but partly because of all these people who have said all along that they're following Him. 
their life is beautiful like him, emulates him, is inspired by him, and empowered by him. What does a beautiful life look like? Well, it looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a life that those who look around, that even though they want to accuse us of wrong, they continue to see this beautiful life and they can't help but think to themselves, there is something different and good and right there. And what Paul now does, after he gives us this invitation, this introduction into what this beautiful life looks like, he says there are three areas of life that I want to talk to you about. And the first one is talking about being a resident of the world. Remember, we're not citizens of this world. We are only residents here in this world. And so the first one that he wants to talk about is that. And then next week, we'll continue on and we'll talk about what it looks like to be in the workplace. And then the third week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be in a family. But today we go back to what it looks like to be a citizen of this world. And it says, be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether it be to the emperors as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil or to praise those who do good. How many of you know that today, if you go to the grocery shop, that you cannot take a plastic bag that they would have for you home because they no longer have a plastic bag for you to take home with you? They are now illegal for stores to have in Western Australia. I think it's just Western Australia right now. It might be going. I know Woolworths has gone all across uh, the country. Yesterday, in the paper, on the front page of the Weekend West, there's a story about someone who didn't quite like what was happening at Woolworths in Mandra, where he put his hands around the neck of a clerk because he wasn't going to spend any of his money on a bag. It seems silly, doesn't it? It seems silly when we think about government setting up these rules and we think to ourselves, come on, man, it's just a bag. But the reality is that in our society where we're at, I guarantee you that each one of us in some form or fashion have a place that we disagree with whatever the government is doing. Some of us might have several. Personally, I have none because I'm working towards citizenship. <laughs> and I can't disagree with the government at this point. <laughs> but don't we? Isn't there a place? And so we read this and, and it says that be subject to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him. In my passport country, in the country of my birth, in the last two weeks, there's been the use of Romans 13 by particular members of the government, which talks about how we are supposed to submit to authority and follow the laws of the land, while neglecting that it says that the government must be just and care for the poor. And people say, well, why do we have to do this? Where are we? Listen again, Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him. 
Listen, when Peter was writing this, the emperor was Nero. Nero, who has by far less merit to be followed and submitted to than most other people. Beyond the cruelties that he had where he was possibly dipping Christians into oil and lighting them on fire and persecutions, he ruled poorly for most of his reign. He didn't care about people. More than most emperors, he also claimed deity unto himself, saying he was God. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So what does it mean to live this beautiful life, this life beautifully lived in the gospel, when we're then told that we must submit to a government, to emperors? Well, the first thing that we need to check is the word submit, or be subject. I know that that's a hard word for many of us to hear. When we hear the word submit, we automatically in our minds think of a a powerful person with their thumb on top of us, forcing us to submit. If you were a wrestler at any point in your life or paid attention to any wrestling, there are things that are called submit holds, that you get a person into a place where they can't do anything else and they finally have to pound the mat and say, I'm done, I'm out, I can't fight anymore. And that is submitting to that person. And so our connotation when we hear that word in our Western modern mind is we think, oh, it's a powerful being pushing down on somebody that is weaker. It is somebody taking a stance of authority that they maybe don't even deserve and pushing it down the throat of those who are around. But that's actually not what this word means. When we talk about the word submission here, It means to arrange one's life underneath the authority or guidance of another. That it is actually less about the power that is coming down and more about the person who is acknowledging the power that is present. Let me repeat that. It's less about the power being pushed down and more about the person responding to the power that is present. So that is that a person who submits still has freedom because it's he or she who decides to follow the leader. Serge, who's a, a pastor who writes commentaries, is. German wrote this, summarizing the position of Christians. He says, We are free with respect to the authorities, and normally this freedom manifests itself in submission and honor, but not always. One of the things that we recognize is, well, then what is the purpose of authority? What is the purpose of government that is set out? And it seems that as we look through Scripture, that the number one thing that is required of authority that God gives is justice. 
God's primary demand on human authorities is that they pursue justice, that they judge fairly, that they shun bribes, that they are impartial, that they go towards protection of rights and property, and that they go to help the poor and the needy and the weak. And when we look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see examples of prophets coming in and saying, you've not taken care of the poor. You've not taken care of the needy. You've not sought the refuge. That you're not doing the right thing that God has ordained you for. Unless we forget, really, God said, I am the one who is ruler over all. And Israel said, give us a king, give us a king. And he said, no, I'm the one who's ruler over all. And Israel said, give us a king, give us a king. And in some ways, he acquiesced and gave them a king. Some who sought these things, who sought justice, and some who did not. So, Although these Christians, those who are powerless and oppressed and scattered, are there, they move into a place of submission, this beautiful life. Why? Because it is not about the person in authority. It is about my heart and your heart and how we align with the ultimate person who is in authority. What does it say? Be subject for whose sake? For their sake? No. For your sake? No, for the Lord's sake. We are in that place where we submit, where we recognize the authority that is there, but it is up to us to move into that place. I think part of the struggle with submission for us, and this is just a hint, you'll hear this probably three Sundays in a row, is the fact that we think self-fulfillment is the chief end of man. We think that me and I being fulfilled makes me complete. And so there is nobody going to tell me what to do. But what godly submission says is you are free. But you are not free to yourself. You are free to others. That's why he says this. Live as people who are free. They're not free. They're exiles. They're sent out. They're oppressed. They've got Nero coming after them. And he says, no, live as people who are free. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for sin. Live as people who are free. See, we are free, but not to ourselves. We are free to others. So as these exiles and heirs, we remember who we are and whose we are and where we're from. That we're from God. That He has created us for this place. Now, a key thing to remember is that obedience for us, arranging our lives, underneath the authority that is present, right? Not wholesale is not wholesale endorsement of any government, right? Obedience for us as Christians underneath the order of life. Listen, if you want to go to the grocery store today and look around for a plastic bag that's a one-time use plastic bag, be my guest. Go ahead and do that. You're not going to find one. 
And as Christians, we're actually called to submit to the, the rule of the land. If you want to drive 140K, be my guest. But as a Christian, you're called to follow the rules of the land. We order ourselves underneath it. But there are times when our government and the authorities around us do not seek the things that we see are from God. And in that place, just because I don't speed and just because I have purchased bags to take with me or a box to take with me to the grocery store or just because I pay my rates or just because, I, just because I've ordered my life in submission doesn't mean that I am completely endorsing everything that the government says or does. I'm still submitting. I'm still honoring, I'm still recognizing the power that's present there. At the same time, I have the freedom to speak against. We know that to be true. We know that to be true because we see Daniel do that in the Bible. When they come and say, hey, you need to eat all this really good food. Listen, that would have been tough. We need to eat all this really good food. And he says, no, no, I don't want to eat that. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not submitting, right? That's what it looks like. But what he's saying is, no, you have an order. I understand the order. I'm not going to break that order. I recognize your authority. What I'm going to ask is, can we do this instead? Jesus was tempted by Satan to overthrow all authority. And Jesus says, no, I'll submit, even to the point of death for us. But even in that place, he was undoing it. Even in that place, Christ knew that even in submission, that his death actually breaks free and shows the true reign of the one who is on high. So how do we live beautifully in the gospel as we submit to one another and we submit to the government that is above us? Well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to recognize who is the ultimate authority. And the ultimate authority is God. As the call to worship that we had today said, you rule over all nations, that the one who is over all things is God. And so the first thing we do is we recognize God. And we recognize that he pursues justice and mercy and truth. That he longs for life to be proclaimed across the world. And so when we see government pushing towards life, we agree with that and we say yes. And if we see governments not pushing towards life and not pushing towards help and not pushing towards refuge for all who are pressed down, then we can say, we're lining up our lives under you, but we want to say, you're missing some things. <laughs> we want to come along and say you're missing some things to bring them into place. The first thing we do is we recognize that God is the one who's in ultimate authority and we submit our lives to them. The second thing we have to do is we have to be careful that we forget that God is the number one thing and that our cause or our party affiliation, or uh, some law that we want passed becomes our God. 
we will have a tendency to take our eyes off the one who is in ultimate authority and say, once I get this thing passed, or once my party takes, takes power again, or stays in power, once this law gets reversed or changed or brought back, then everything will be good. Guess what's just happened? You've put something other than God on the throne of your heart. And so your rebellion is rebellion not against the authority of government. Your rebellion is against the authority of God. And so we have to be careful that those things that we feel God calls us to, even those really good things, those things that we need to be championing, those things that we need to be pressing the government about, that even those things can become sin in our lives because they can become the utmost important. And so the second thing that we have to do is we have to be careful not to take our cause or our party or the thing that we feel like we have the right to rebel against and make it a rebellion against God. The third thing that we need to do is we need to see our submission as being a blessing to those in authority. It's not a tactic to change them but it is a blessing to those in authority. You know, Joseph had a coat of many colors, and we like that part of this story. But the reality is he had brothers who hated his guts, and they threw him into a pit, and they told their dad, hey, he died, when in fact they sold him for a little bit of money and probably split it and went to the pub. And there he was, in Potiphar's house, having been sold as a slave. And he had every right to say, you're not my God, you're not my master, God of Israel, the God of my father, the God of Abraham is the only God. I don't have to do anything for you. I shouldn't even obey you because you're a pagan. But Joseph submits. And he blesses. When he recognizes that Potiphar's wife is hot for him, he avoids her as long and as much as he can until Potiphar's wife corners him. And when Potiphar comes in and he says, I'm going to throw you into jail and you're going to eventually die there, he could have said, no, 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 no. I'm a righteous man. I'm a clean man. I'm a man after God's own heart. I follow the God of Israel. I follow the God of Abraham. I follow the one who created you and put you in power. You have no right to do that. As a matter of fact, I could take you down right now in all that I am. But he doesn't. He submits and he goes to prison. And he languishes there. And then when Pharaoh can't sleep because he's had these weird dreams and he thinks to himself, I need to stop drinking out of the Nile River. I don't know what's going on. And he calls people forward and they can't give him the answers to what those dreams are. He calls up Joseph. And Joseph could have said, why should I share with you the knowledge of the Most High God? Better yet, oh, this is what God is saying. You've got 14 years of great growth and all sorts of goodness that's coming your way and nothing bad will ever happen to Egypt. But he doesn't. He submits. In order to be a blessing. And at the very end of Joseph's 
uh, life as he is meeting his brothers and things are changing and all of his family is having to come to Egypt. God is establishing his people there. His brothers are nervous and scared and worried about how Joseph is going to respond to them. And they say, please forgive us. Please forgive us. We, we, we didn't mean this harm to you. And he says, my dear brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good for all people. He didn't say God meant for good for me because it wasn't good for him for a long time. He said God meant good for all people. So our place living beautiful lives that is drenched in the gospel is a place where our submission, remember, aligning ourselves underneath, recognizing the power that's present, knowing that we have the opportunity to challenge and change, nay, even responsibility. <laughs> because submission is about blessing. Submission is about blessing those who are around us and those who are placed above us. And we do that by pursuing their good. That's the good works that he's talking about here. Doing good, it brings about good things for them. It's when they saw one of their pagan friends who maybe had been saying bad things about them in need of something, they rushed to help them. It's the reason why he wraps up this section by saying this. Honor everyone. <laughs> Honor everyone. Those who agree with you, those who disagree with you, those who badmouth you, those who praise you. Honor everyone. One, live such good lives, such beautiful lives among them that when they are in need, you provide the need. You, you provide what they need. That you're praying for you, them. You're seeking what? Their blessing. Then he says, love the brotherhood. He says, now, I want you to take care of all those that are out you, but I really, really want you to love the brotherhood. We have to seek the blessing of each other. Because if we can't seek the blessing of each other, it'll be impossible for us to seek the blessing of everyone else. Why? Because you're my family. You're who God brought together with me. And if I can't seek your blessing, man, I'm never going to seek the blessing of somebody who's against me. Right? Then he says, fear God. Because it springs from a reverence and an understanding and a remembrance that the ultimate authority is God. And right after that, he reminds us, and honor the emperor. As we continue on in thinking about this beautiful life, we will continue to weave in and out of this understanding of what it looks like for us to submit and be a blessing. Let's pray. Father God, be with us today. Help us to learn to be a blessing to those who are near us. Father, let us bless all that we encounter. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.